man, we're excited. It's good to be, uh, just good to be with you guys today. Good to be in this series. Good to be, uh, man, just talking about, um, yeah, talking about Jer- people like Jerry. And uh, is this just a little loud? Is it a little bit loud? You might want to, can you bring that a little bit for me? Sorry. Um, yeah, it's good to just talk a little bit about <clears throat> people like Jerry and people um, like many of you in here that are part of this church and part of setting up um, really a space like this for us to be together, a space for us to come together every single week. Um, you know, we say this here often at the church uh, that we are, we are, we're not a Sunday people primarily. We're a Monday through Saturday people. Uh, we really mean that. There are groups that meet all over the city. There are things that are occurring all the time where relationships are, are happening. And, uh, and that's kind of the people we want to be. But a guy like Jerry right there, man, it's perfect that we're talking about him today and we're able to talk about him a little bit today because... If you don't know much about him, uh, he just came to faith within the last year or so. Yeah, it's amazing. He came to faith. God ambushed him. Jesus ambushed him, revealed himself to him within the past year, and he started following this man named Jesus. And uh, since then, he has gone all in in this church, and he's gone all in in a community group and serving this church and taking a leadership role. And man, I think that is just an amazing place for us to begin the day. To say that uh, there wasn't this like, hey, Jerry came to faith and then Jerry had to like get to this whole process and mature to this whole point and then eventually he took on this leadership role and then he began to serve and then he began to lead other people to the great news that he knew about Jesus. It's actually that Jesus saved Jerry and that lit him on fire and it sent him out and he has been engaging people in this church and in this city. And I think that's an amazing thing. I think that when God reveals who he is to us, when we know that we know that our lives have been changed and our hearts have been transformed, it does something in us. Amen? It moves us. It empowers us. And uh, there's no holding back. Jesus said in scripture, we're going to look at this today, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and so I tell you to go. You don't need anybody else to tell you to go. You have Jesus himself telling you all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, Christian, to go forward in the name of Jesus and the presence of God uh, and to reach people and engage people in this city. I love it because there's two million lost people in this city. And uh, I can't wait to keep seeing stories like Jerry of people who will continue to engage those in our city. We are talking today uh, about discipleship. We're talking about spiritual fathering and spiritual mothering. Uh, and if you need a Bible, by the way, today, if you just throw your hand up, uh, we'll have ushers that are going to come by here. Just go ahead and throw it up. You can keep that Bible if you need it. By the way, just a heads up, this Bible event here is actually not live. So if you're looking for it right now, wondering where it is, uh, we're having some difficulties with it this morning. And so uh, you'll have to follow along. We'll have all the scripture up on the screen. But we want you to follow along with your eyes on the screen and be able to see exactly uh, what we are talking about, that they're not just my thoughts, but they're actually in the word. And I want to start today, if you're okay with it, uh, I don't normally do this, but I actually want to share a little bit about myself. And I want to start today and share a little bit, uh, a couple minutes of my story uh, so you can understand where I'm coming from today and where we're going. I I kind of wavered and wasn't sure if I wanted to do this, but um, I grew up in a home uh, with a mom and a dad that did the best that they could, like many of you. They did everything they could uh, to love me, to care for me, uh, to set me up well in life. My mother is an amazing woman of God. Uh, She has a deep affection for Jesus. Uh, We grew up actually going to a Catholic church, and we grew up with her going to a Catholic church, always putting uh, Jesus in front of me and always putting the gospel in front of me. But like I don't know many of you probably, it just never clicked. 
It just never hit me. I mean, I, I kind of went to church. I went and sat in the, in the pews and in the rows, and I went to what we called CCD class, and I went to, uh, you know, that was like our Sunday school. And I would sit there, and I would listen to all of the, the things that were happening, and I felt like there was just this list of what to do, what to do, what to do, and it just never clicked. And in about sixth grade, my parents separated. It was a really tough uh, separation, a really tough divorce uh, for my family, and uh, it, it put me into this spiral of kind of seeking and wondering and asking, uh, where do I have value? Where, where am I worthwhile? Uh, you know, I don't have a dad around as much anymore. My parents are going through this struggle. Where do I fit into this whole thing? And a lot of the decisions and a lot of the things that I began to walk into had to do with that, had to do with this feeling of inadequacy, feeling of, man, if I could just get people to clap for me, if I could just get people to tell me you're valuable, if I could just get people to cheer for me, then maybe then... Man, I'll be worthwhile in something. And I went away to college. I went my freshman year out to the University of North Carolina. I spent time out there for a year, and I made some of the craziest decisions I've ever made in my life. I, uh, if I'm honest with you, and I love being this transparent, um, you, you don't have a perfect pastor. Uh, and so I, I get worried. I'm, I'm like, praise God that social media wasn't around in the time that I was in school freshman year. Uh, Facebook was on the onset, but I get worried sometimes thinking about, you know, you see some of the conversations that are going on in the world right now, and just to be real with you, like, I, I think about myself, and I go, man, I, before I followed Jesus, I, I wasn't following in a way that was, man, it was just, it wasn't presentable to the world in a lot of ways, and I hit the bo- rock bottom my freshman year, and I left North Carolina, and I transferred to the University of Texas at Austin, and I showed up here to UT Austin, and one night a friend of mine said to me, uh, Sorry, you should come and listen to this guy speak. And uh, he's a, he, he talks about Jesus in a way you'll never hear it. And I thought, okay, well, you know, whatever. Uh, and I showed up and I listened to this guy talk. And I really went like everybody in college does. They go because other people are there. They don't go necessarily because they're like trying to like, you know, I'm trying to get sanctified. I'm trying to get, grow in my faith, brother. You know, like there are some students that are doing that, I'm sure. And if you're one of them, praise God, because the OU game was this weekend and you're here in church. So we are cheering you on. Uh, but I didn't do it that way. And I sat there and I listened to this guy talk and he always would say this, this man named Jesus. He'd always talk about this man named Jesus. And I was so deeply moved by it. And uh, afterwards, he encouraged us to get into these small groups. And I had no idea what it, by the way, if you're a Christian here, nobody outside of the church knows what a small group is. <laughs> they have no idea the language we use. I didn't know what that was. And I remember I walked up to him and I remember he had all these times set up and there wasn't a time to fit my schedule. And like the punk that I was, I looked at him and I said, man, there's no time that fits my schedule. And he looked at me and he said, okay, well, then when do you want to meet? And I said, well, I don't know. When are you free? And he goes, 12 o'clock Tuesdays. I said, done. And he said, meet me at Starbucks on 24th in Guadalupe. And I met him there every single day on Tuesday for the rest of that year. And I will tell you something, that man never once, never once shoved the Bible in front of me, reprimanded me for the way that I was living, made me feel awful. Instead, what he did was what Paul says of Timothy in Scripture. He took a genuine interest in my life. He cared about who I was. And eventually, after what we would say in young life, earned the right to be heard in my life, began depositing truth into my life. 
opened up the word, put it in front of me, spoke the word of God to me, showed me how to read the word of God, began to walk with me, invited me into his family, invited me into his life, opened the door to his house, told me his sons were gonna be like my brothers, told me his wife was gonna care for me as well, invited me to dinner, and this family to this day is still arguably one of probably, if not the closest family apart from mine in my life. And this man did what I did not know what it was, but he was discipling me. He was teaching me and instructing me in the way of the Lord. I want you to know today that God has chosen us as his plan A. He's chosen us to lead other people to him and to instruct others about him. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. God chose to use you to lead other people to him. And the way you can do that is varied, Okay, let me just say that today from the get-go. The way you can do that is varied. Sometimes we start talking about discipleship and we get a little bit worried. We get a little, we're like, we start to feel this little guilty like, feeling of, I'm not doing it. I don't know what I'm doing. Let me tell you today, my hope today is that we're going to be able to open up our mind and our eyes to see that, that God, is, uh, God calls us all to disciple. Every believer in God is called to make disciples. But the way that you do that is so varied. There's so much freedom today. I want to actually free you up today. That's my prayer that you would see the, the variety of ways that God is gonna call you to lead others to him and instruct others to him. We're gonna be in 2 Timothy today and we're gonna look at an unsung hero who has mentioned two of them that are mentioned one time, one time. And these people are gonna pour into a very, very, very important person in the word of God. And that person has actually impacted you and we are sitting here today probably because of their impact on your life. Their discipleship is actually pouring out into the Well Community Church right now. What I didn't realize when I was in college at UT is that to run my race as a believer in Jesus, I needed to be inspired and instructed forward. I didn't realize that. And, this, and, and these are the kind of people that start to do that. Paul is in 2 Timothy charging towards the finish line. You gotta understand that today. He's on his last leg of life. He's at the end. He says, I have run the race. I have finished the race. I will finish the race. And he's writing to a guy named Timothy who he calls his beloved, his beloved child. And it's his second letter to Timothy. It's the last one he wrote. He's sitting in prison. He's writing this letter. And we actually don't know how much time has passed from the first time that he wrote to the second time of where this is now. But he's facing death. And what we know is that his situation has gotten from bad to worse and worse to even worse. And he says he's sitting at, this, at the end of his life and he knows that it's coming. Emperor Nero at this time in Rome was burning Christians, were burning Christians alive. And he was making a point in Christianity. It was not going to happen in the Roman Empire under his watch. And Paul was going to be the next person on that list. A young Timothy is the one who's receiving this, probably in his early 20s. A young man who Paul literally took out of his family, took him along his journeys. If you read the rest of the scriptures, you'll see he carried and traveled with him, discipled him, led him, instructed him. Paul was planting churches and he was raising up pastors and Timothy was one of them. He actually hands over a church to Timothy, the church at Ephesus. The very book that we just finished in here, Ephesians, this was your pastor of that church at the time. Amazing story. And Timothy was entrusted with that leadership. It wasn't easy, by the way, because we know that in Ephesus, when the church was planted, there were a lot of riots that were occurring. There was a lot of pushback and animosity towards Jesus. So planting the church, being a young guy in the middle of a city that wasn't very receptive to the gospel, hello, it makes me think a little bit of the Well Community Church today. You got a couple young guys up here, by the grace of God, begging God to lead us and guide us in a city 
that we need the Spirit of God to lead us. And Paul is a mentor, is a disciple maker, is somebody who is going to equip Timothy and tell him, I love you, I'm with you, and he's going to write to him, here's what you need to know as I leave and as I go. And I love it because Paul's ministry is rapidly expanding. If you flip just one page to the very end of this letter, if you look in chapter four, verse nine, you can see it. He's literally calling shots like a coach on a field. He's telling people, they're going here, they're going there. Demas has left me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus is Dalmatia. I've sent Luke. Luke, actually Luke is with me. Mark has gone over here. Tychicus has gone to Ephesus so that you could come here. I want you to come back with me. Carpus and Troas have gone over there. And he's calling shots. He's sending people out. And here's what you've got to see today is that as a, man, as a man in the end of his life, in the very last stage of his life, what you have to see is there was a plethora of young men around him that he had been investing and depositing into, and they were carrying on his work. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? This same man who I talked about who discipled me, who led me to faith, told me this himself. Uh, the director of Young Life right now at University of Texas, a friend of mine, he's actually part of our church, he's in here. He told me the greatest legacy that he had was actually raising up this man to take over his ministry. It wasn't that there were thousands of college students in small groups, that there were uh, countless hundreds of people who came to faith. He said it was actually that this man took on the ministry on my behalf, and I spent years with him teaching him and raising him up to carry this ministry. I thought that's just amazing because that's what's happening in Paul's life. The question I have for you today is at the end of your life, what will your legacy be? Who will you have poured what God has deposited into you and who will you pour that out into yourself? That's the question today. Here we go. We're gonna start in verse one of 2 Timothy. I'm gonna read a little bit for context, context here and I want you to see the two people that we're talking about. It says in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Jesus Christ. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace Mercy, peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God whom I serve, as I did with my ancestors with a clear conscience. And I remember you constantly in my prayers, Timothy, night and day. I remember your tears, and I long to see you. Remember, he's writing this from a prison cell, that I might be filled with joy, and I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, as now, I am sure, dwells in you. For this reason, I'm reminded, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. I love it. We see two women from the get-go, our unsung heroes today, Lois and Eunice. Two women. Two women who are a grandmother and a mother of this man, Timothy, who raised this man up, who instilled their life and everything that was deposited into them by the scriptures and by other people. She, they poured it out into this man. Hello, shout out moms today. Can we get a clap in here for the moms in this place? The unsung heroes in this building right now, the women of God in here right now who are by faithfulness raising up Timothy's and devout faith. This is a Lois and this is Eunice. I love it. We don't know too much about them, but what we do know is that in Acts 16.1, I want you to see this, Paul came to Derbe. If you put that up there for me, Acts 16.1, there should be a slide for it. Paul came to Derbe 
and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. We, don't, we may not have that slide right now. Do we have it? Probably out. Oh, there we go. Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. I love it. Note this real quick. As he came to Derbe and Lystra, as Paul first came, Timothy was already a disciple. He was already discipled by who? Lois and Eunice, maybe others, who knows what. But he shows up there and he comes to a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and a father who was Greek. So I love it. Eunice was a Jewish believer. She was a Messianic Jew, someone who had studied the Old Testament, had studied the scriptures, but had become a believer in the Messiah of Jesus. And she had raised up in her son these same truths. At the same time, we see that the father was a Greek. He was not a believer. So he grew up in a home, maybe like some of you, of somebody who believed in Jesus and didn't believe in Jesus. We know later on in life, we won't get into all this, but Timothy was actually not circumcised. He, uh, that was a sign of the day of a Jewish person that they would be circumcised, but if you were Greek, you wouldn't circumcise. That was in the hands of the father to decide, and we know that Timothy wasn't, so we know that the father, who was Greek, was not converted, did not want his son to be marked as the people of God by the circumcision. And so uh, it's amazing just to see this, that, that Eunice was there. Eunice was a believer, but also Lois is in the picture and Lois is this mother of Eunice possibly or maybe a mother-in-law to Eunice and we see that these two women raised up this man why is this amazing we don't know why the father's not mentioned we don't know if he was abandoned the family if he passed away but we see that two women had stepped up and raised this man I love it even if we'll show one more scripture in 2 Timothy 3 it says this Paul is saying this in the same letter he's saying however continue in the things that you've learned Timothy that you've become convinced of knowing what you learned from them and from the childhood that you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through Christ Jesus. I think today this raises the stakes on moms. This raises the stakes and tell, to tell you today, I think even God wants us to share today and free you up, mama. I want you to hear this today. Your, maybe your primary calling in discipleship right now is to your children. And you need to not feel anymore as you walk out of this room any guilt from that space right there. That is the most important discipleship that you could be doing right now. Can I tell you today clearly, it is not the church's job to disciple your kids. It is your job as husband and wife to disciple your children. And I want the ladies in here, the mamas in here today, to know that this church is behind you, supporting you, pushing you all the way. Even the, the lead pastor's wife here has three girls and I talked to her about this, and she tells me about how difficult it is not to be so involved in all the intricacies of what's going on here. But she's raising three girls up, teaching them the truths of the gospel. What is being deposited in them right now might end up becoming a Timothy for the rest of the kingdom of God. How amazing and incredible is this? I want you to think about this too today. I'm standing here, and when I speak to you today, what I'm telling you today, I'm the result of all of the people who poured into my life. All the people who spoke the truths of the gospel into my life. All of the people who took time to instill and disciple and to instruct me in the ways of the Lord. I'm standing on the shoulders of 20, 30, maybe 40 people who poured out into me at certain times of my life. We thought this this week was amazing. All three of your pastors here at this church at one point in our life had our father step out. All three of the guys up here that preach. We all did not have fathers lead us, but you know what? Other men stepped in. 
Other men came up behind us, told us what we were, our value was, who we were, who God was, and began to instruct us in that way. And the mission here at the well is simply this. We'll put it up on the screen if you don't know it. The mission at the well is to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God. Shorten that. We want to exalt God, exalt Jesus, make much of him. We want to disciple people. We want to equip you to disciple people. And we want to send people out back into their worlds, back into the nations, back across this country, back into church plants. That is our mission today. And so today, for the rest of the time that we have, all I want to do is clarify three things for us. One, what is discipleship? What is it biblically? We have, if you're like me, maybe you have heard this. You can put that slide up there, Kenneth. What is discipleship? Clarify what it is. Who does it? What are the myths around it? I mean, because honestly, if you're like me, maybe discipleship's a little bit ambiguous. What does it mean? Does it mean to spend time with somebody? Does it mean to teach somebody? What is it? What does the word of God say that it is? How should it be done? Like we said, I want to free you up to do what God's called you to do. And lastly, why does it matter to me after all to challenge you forward in the call on our life? Uh, let's start with what is discipleship. Are you guys with me still this morning? I want you to stick with me as much as you can because it's a little bit heady, but it's really, really helpful if you see this. One, the word discipleship, I want you to know this, does not appear in the Bible. Discipleship never appears in the Bible. And so if you wonder why there's a little ambiguity around discipleship, it's probably because there's not an actual hardcore definition. We have to look at when disciple making and discipleship is spoken about and gather from the context. And there's two ways that we primarily see. One, it's talking about when you hear about disciple making, it's about my discipleship. In other words, one, what is my own pattern of following Jesus, of trusting and learning from him, the discipleship that's occurring between me and God, the discipleship that's occurring between us. And then number two, it's the activity of actually helping others follow Jesus. It's the sense of you helping others actually follow after Christ, to follow after Jesus. Let me show you an example of this real quick in Acts 14, 21. When they preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium. This right here, made many disciples. That's one word in the Greek, and it literally means to convert them to, to preach the gospel, to convert and transform them to followers of Jesus. So better said, when they preached the gospel to that city, they converted many into Christianity and returned to Lystra and Iconium. Now, stick with me here real quick, because immediately you're probably going, well, Jesus said make disciples, not just make converts, right? Well, yes, the same word is actually used again in Matthew 28. Pull this up real quick, Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then he explains to us what, is that, what all-encompassing could that make disciples be? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's introducing them to the triune God. The Holy Spirit, not just God the Father, not just Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit even. Hello, we need a little Holy Spirit in our lives being introduced to. Amen, I need a little more Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, teaching them Jesus' commands. So there's an aspect of teaching involved. And behold, I am with you always. 
So this idea is this process that can, can be a moment of even conversion or can even be this process that's holistic even of this process that could take place over a life of leading people into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of teaching them, instructing them in the ways of Jesus to follow him. What does it not mean today? Maybe that will be a little bit more helpful. I, think disciple, I, I know discipleship based on the word is not second stage Christians. Okay, you, you know what I mean by that? Second stage Christians, you know what I'm saying? You know, ministries will build around this. They'll say, well, we're just converting people to Christianity as if the, the converts are one group and then there's this next level Christian, you know, the people who are gonna get discipled over here and they're, they're the disciples, they're like on the stage two. They, okay, you've been converted now, so now you're gonna go be a disciple. Well, the problem with that is the word. The problem with that is in the word of God, disciple and Christian are interchangeable. Are you tracking with me on that? Disciple and Christian are the same exact word. Acts eleven twenty six. you'll see here. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Everybody that was converted to Jesus was a disciple. Everybody that was converted to Jesus was a Christian. It, was go, it went hand in hand. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. Paul doesn't even use this word in any of his writings. Disciple is not used in any of Paul's writings. It's used in the Gospels and Acts alone. Additionally, discipleship is not information. It's not to disciple, to disciple somebody is not just information. It's not that you're just gonna be handed information about Jesus, okay? So why does that matter? Because James talks about, if you throw it on the screen, James talks about that even the demons have information about God about Jesus, and they shudder. So you can believe, you can hear information and believe that God is real today, hello? You can believe that God is real today and not be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. You can believe that God exists in a very moralistic, relativistic world that we live in, that there's a spirituality, and not be a follower of Jesus himself. Demons even believe in Jesus. Discipleship is not a second stage Christian. It is not information. And the third part of that is it is not behavioral modification. In other words, to be a disciple and to be in discipleship is not that you would have a list of things that you would do. And if you do these things, it makes you a disciple. That is the furthest from what Jesus actually wants out of your life. And if you're not a believer in here today, can I just tell you a side note? We love that you're here. I love that you're here. But as I'm speaking to these Christians, I want you to know our heart and our goal, our, our desire for you is that you would fall in love with an affection towards this Savior. And that you would see his love and his reckless love affection for you and you would walk in a relationship with this Savior, Jesus. It is not behavioral modification. Oftentimes pastors can swing so far. They give all this information. We come up here, we preach, and we're like, we're not seeing anything change. And so we start telling people, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. And we start making these lists. Or if you've been in an accountability group, another word that no non-believer understands what that means. We don't even know what that means, to be honest with you, Okay. <laughs> We start saying, well, how did you do this week, brother, on this, this, and this? And we start creating these lists. The greatest way you can understand how Jesus did not want behavioral modification is to look at this man, the rich young ruler. You know that story? This man comes to Jesus in the scriptures, and he says to him, he says, Jesus, I want to inherit eternal life. I want to be with you. And Jesus says to him, well, then obey all that I have taught. And he says, I've already done it. He checks him off. He starts listing them. He says, I did this, I do this, I do this. I'm keeping your commands, Jesus. And he says, okay, great. Go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And you know what the scriptures say? 
It says the man walked away sad because he couldn't do it. It wasn't that Jesus is telling you today, hey, go sell your car, your house, and then follow me. Go do all this. What he was saying to this man is, I want to be primary in your life. I want your transformed heart. I want your heart because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Our greatest problem in our lives, y'all, is us. It's our heart. It is this right here. And let me tell you, if I could just give you one word on what discipleship is, true discipleship is transformation. It is a transformation of the heart by utilizing you to engage with people and to walk with them, instruct them, and teach them, and lead them towards Jesus. True discipleship is transformation. This same word, transformation, it's used in 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want you to see this up here. And we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of God. We are being transformed. The same word for transformed is this word that we use, get the word metamorphosis from. It's the word that is uh, like a shift. It's from one nature into the next. You were, it's like a caterpillar and a butterfly, okay? You go from a caterpillar into a completely different creature, a butterfly. You go from the old way into the new way. It's saying, and we, by beholding the Lord, the glory, the beauty of God, by looking and seeing how beautiful God is, by seeing his majesty, we are transformed. We are changed into the same image from one degree to the next, moment by moment. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you, when you come to faith, when you convert into this, that that word even feels like a cuss word when I say it. I don't know why. It's like I feel weird saying convert, conversion. It shouldn't. When you go from old to new and you place your faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, he changes you. And by the indwelling spirit of God, he begins to help you behold the glory of God to see how beautiful and amazing he is. And as you look upon Jesus, not on yourselves, you are changed. And that is how discipleship works. That is the amazing thing about our God is that he uses us to point and put Jesus in the path of people to say, look at him, look how beautiful he is. And if you just look at him, you know, some people in this room today, this is not on my notes, but I just gotta say this, some of us in here today are so stuck on our sin. We're so stuck on our past. We're so stuck on these things that are holding us down and weighing us down. And God's just trying to say to you today, will you stop staring at the weights and the things that I paid for? And will you start looking at me instead? Will you just turn your eyes to see what, not what you can do, because you can't do it. Have you not figured it out? And would you just look at what I have done? And when you see what he's done, yo, it changes you. It changes you. That's your job. That's the call in your life, is to put that in front of people and to show them how beautiful Jesus Christ is. I had a friend this week. We have a community group. It's like a mixture of, it's like, I'll just say it, I don't really care. We, we're not like on like the website or anything, but like we're kind of this community group, a mixture of people from, uh, a little bit of people from different churches actually. A lot of, some people from here at the well, and some people go to other churches, and I love that actually. But this week, one of the, the guys in the group, he starts just praying. And as he's praying, he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about the cross and he just breaks down and cries. And I thought to myself, when's the last time I did that? 
When's the last time I thought so hard on the beauty of God that it just caused me to break down and go, you're so good, God. You're so, so good. Let us behold the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards, who is a famous uh, pastor. Y'all, I'm sweating like crazy up here, by the way. So (laughs) y'all forgive me, okay? Um, Jonathan Edwards, who is a uh, famous uh, pastor and was involved greatly in the Great Awakening, a revival movement that occurred, uh, where people would come to him and ask him and say, how do you know when someone is a disciple? And he said, the supreme proof of a true conversion is holy affections. It's longing after God, longing after purity, longing after holiness. It's when you no longer, not that you don't mess up still, but it's when you so desire this affection for Jesus, this, this way of Jesus, these desires and this heart for his way and his life, that's when you can know Somebody is a disciple of God. George Whitfield, who used to be a preacher, a traveling uh, preacher uh, during another awakening movement, they'd ask him the same question. And he said, they said, how do you know, how many people raised their hand today? How many people came to faith today, pastor? And he would say to them, we don't know. You know, we, we get caught up here uh, in uh, America sometimes counting numbers and being like, and saying this is how many people came to faith and blah, blah, blah. It's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. However, what George is saying was, we don't know. He says, you wanna know how you know? Wait six months and look at their life. He says, in six months, you'll see a changed, marked difference in the ones who did come to faith, who are now disciples in Jesus Christ. That is a crazy thing. If you look at the Great Commission and you read the Great Commission, what Jesus is calling is all of us. He's calling all believers to the same thing. But how we do it, how we do it, it can be varied. I gotta pick up the pace just a tad here. But how do you make disciples? Definitions can be pretty complex, okay? Yes, I say it's not, discipleship is not information, but you still need to give information to people, amen? Discipleship is not just behavior modification, but you still need to call people up to die to themselves and to live towards Christ, amen? So there is this process of imputing knowledge onto people and to calling people into greater ways of living. That's part of instructing others in order for a heart to be transformed. But what we want to avoid is this sort of accountability of, of this like checklist mentality Scripture is so clear. How can we be transformed? Personal study, fasting, prayer. These things begin as we behold the glory of God in them. They begin to change us. We do it every single week in here. There is a discipleship that is occurring in here every single week on Sunday. We gather to worship together. And when we behold the glory of God, when Casey, my brother, sings with that beautiful voice that God has given him for all of us to clap our hands and praise, I'm back there beholding the glory of God and God is transforming me. When we go to community groups here at the well, when we are involved in the community, we share the stories of what God's doing in our lives. We behold his glory. We are changed. When we go on a mission trip that's being sent out here from the well, which we do, you go and you see God working in different areas and contexts in the world. We're called to encourage and minister to each other. But here's the deal. A ninth grader doesn't need the same discipleship as a 38-year-old that's been walking in faith. There's a difference in how you're going to approach that and the way that you're going to approach it. And here's the deal. Today, in this day and age, this answer is gonna look so different in everybody's life because we have a plethora, a plethora of resource and curriculum and tablets and apps and ways that we can instruct and learn to teach. There has never been more of a time where you don't have an excuse to put Jesus in front of other people. Amen? 
Wow, that got maybe one person saying amen. Let me say that one more time. There's never been a time where we don't have an excuse to put Jesus in front of people. Amen? Amen. Thank God is right. The answer will look different. A businessman will not be discipled the way a college student will be discipled. A college student will not be discipled the way that a five-year-old son of a mother will be discipled. We're going to have to look at the context in different ways. But one of the things we say to them is that as I follow Christ, would you follow me? Would you follow me as I follow Christ? I remember one time I actually asked that of a small group of guys. I, got the, I, got the, I built up the courage to kind of sit down with them. And I was like, I, this is the most arrogant thing I feel like I've ever done in my life. And I looked them in the eyes because 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said that. Would you follow me as I follow Christ? And I looked at these guys who I'd earned the right to be heard in their lives, and I looked them in the eyes, and I said, would you follow me as I follow Jesus? And their faces, like, it was like y'all's. It was like, what? What happened? And, and one by one, I mean, one guy looked at me with tears in his eyes weeping and said, no one's ever had the boldness to ask me that. Have you asked the people in your life that? Have you looked at them in the eyes and said, hey, because you know what that does? I got 18 guys at the University of Texas right now. We meet every week and we meet in between these, these, these kind of community groups that we have. But you know what it does in my life? If I'm asking someone to follow me as I follow Jesus, I sure as heck better be following Jesus. You know how God wants to grow me? He's gonna get them to ask me questions about things that I don't understand. It's gonna lead me back to search and look and God's gonna grow me as I go to search and look to bring them the answer. It's amazing how God's kingdom works, okay? There's a bunch right here. I'm gonna just have them put this up on the screen. These are examples of discipleship in the New Testament. Um, if you want, I'm gonna send this out to community group leaders this week. It's just a few. I mean, there, there's so many of them. You can take a picture of this. Um, but here's the deal. I want you to see that it happens all over the place. Older women are to train younger women. Paul trained Timothy. Fathers train your children. Missionaries teach the nations. Christians exhort each other every single day to avoid sin. Stir each other up to love and good. All Christians use your gifts to serve others. This just goes on and on and on. The variety in the way of discipleship can be nuanced. The last thing we'll say today and as we get ready to close out is why is discipleship important? One, the church's mission goes forward as disciples are made. God's kingdom, his plan is that every tongue, tribe, and nation will hear of the goodness and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ and that his mission will be advanced in this city. Lives will be restored. You have two missions as a Christian. One is to bear the image of God, to be a human being. And two, it's to be a redemptive agent to restore people back to him. The church's mission moves forward as disciples are made. Um, I love this um, Starbucks uh, years ago was in a free fall. Uh, their company stock had plummeted by 50%. They lost $7 million within a year in revenue. They were struggling. They had to close thousands of stores. And they ended up hiring their old CEO as a way of figuring out how they were going to fix this problem. And they fixed it. That, that year, they actually went up to $152 million in revenue and profit. And I love what they did. They didn't actually introduce a new line. They didn't uh, reduce the prices. What they did was they closed their stores for a few days and imparted the essential things to their employees that they needed to know to be retrained in their gospel, their news, their mission. And you know what it did? It flipped the whole company around. 
and reinvigorated Starbucks. The same thing is true within the church and with us. We have to be trained. Elder qualification, actually, pastoral qualification is high character with the ability to teach the word of God to the next generation. If they can't, you can't be an elder. You can't be a pastor. You've got to be called, you've got to be able to impart truths to other people. Dawson Trotman was uh, the Navigators. Uh, he, was the, um, he was the founder of Navigators, and he asked this question that is still relevant to this day. Where are your men? Where are your women? Where are the people you are reproducing and making disciples from? That's the question he has. And I want to ask you, as you visualize the next stage, well, church, of your life, your personal life, as you visualize where you're going in the next five years of your life, I wanna ask you this. Do you have a picture of what younger people, not young by age, but maybe maturity and faith, do you have a picture of the gospel truths you wanna impart to them and who those people are? I want you today to get that picture, to see it. We're gonna to have to go a little bit quicker, but number two, another reason why is that there are church, people in the church who wanna grow. They want it. I gotta tell you, as a pastor, I have more people asking me to mentor them, disciple them all the time. I love, it's one of the most humbling things, but I have to tell people all the time, I have gotta to go to God and say, Lord, do you want me to do this? And I have to wait and hear because I can't disciple 30, 40 people. But there are so many young guys in this church that have come to our pastors and asked us that question. We need older men who are willing to stand up and impart truth into their life, to walk with them, to open their homes with them. That's what we need right now because they want it so bad. Statistics tell us right now 40% of children in the U.S. are born into fatherless homes. One third of the boys in this country right now are being raised without a dad or a fatherly figure in their life right now. Statistics also tell us that if every Christian male who claims Jesus Christ in this country would actually take one man under their wing, we would eradicate fatherlessness in this country today. The question is, are you being faithful to the call on your life Timothy was the son of an absent father, a co-author of epistles and a pastor of one of the most influential churches in the first century. Timothy's need Paul's. They need men to impart onto them. The last thing I'll tell you why, why does it matter? And it should be the number one reason, Jesus commands us. Gosh, I hate pulling that card. <laughs> but man, it's the trump card of all trump cards, is it not? He says, I, all authority has been given to me. We should stop right there. All authority is given to me. Go and make disciples. He tells us to do it. He calls us to do it. He doesn't say become more mature, get more knowledge. Become. He, he says literally go. Do you know that, 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 that there, are, there are aspects, I mean, the woman at the well, the well community church, the woman at the well was following, had five husbands at one point in life, was, was sleeping with all these men possibly, and Jesus gives her the gospel. She comes to faith, she sees him, and she goes and shares the gospel. No one said, excuse me, ma'am, you need to please get into our discipleship class. Uh, make sure that you please sign up for this and make sure that we get an approval, a check of approval on you before you go start telling people. No, Jesus said, all authority is given to me. Go make disciples. Man, Jesus, when he says that, he speaks, this is the same Jesus that speaks to demons and tells them, come out. They don't argue with him. They don't argue with Jesus. There's no, well, hold on, wait a second. No, it's come out, they come out. Storm cease, stop. You see, nature responds to Jesus, do we? He says to us, 
It doesn't matter. Go forward, Christian. You have the spirit of God in you. Lead other people. The priest in the New Testament began becoming priest around the age of 20. And by the age of 50, there was a required retirement age for them. But you know what God still instructed them to do? To raise up the next generation of priests. Literally, Scripture says to fulfill your obligation. 2 Timothy says this, Take what we have heard and trust it to reliable men. Paul will go on to tell Timothy, take what you've heard and trust it to reliable men. I love this last thing I'll tell you. William Tennant. William Tennant was a preacher in the 1700s. He was a preacher in the 1700s and uh, he uh, was part of pastoring a Presbyterian church and he was part of this church and uh, they actually thought he was a really boring preacher. Okay, uh, man, go easy on us, by the way, if you ever want to let us know that, okay? Just be very careful on how you want to tell us that. But this, these people actually tried to remove him from power multiple times, and it didn't work, probably because they're Presbyterian. But all of that to say, he started discipling five men at a time, and he builds this little log cabin in the back of his house. And they actually started making fun of him. People started saying, oh, there's William Tennant's guys, the five guys that are at William Tennant's college, you know, the little college of discipleship for William Tennant. And he started meeting with these guys and training them, imparting onto them the things that he had been taught and learned. And you know what's crazy? Those men would leave that place on fire with zeal, and they would go out to the rest of America. Guess what that little log cabin became? Princeton University. 67 colleges after that began to create log cabins so that they could, too, train men up in the way of the Lord and impart knowledge and wisdom. Look at this. Look at this. There are men who want it. There are women who want it. There are people who want it. By the way, women, it's not just men today. If, by the way, if guys can be the bride of Christ, you can be the sons of God, okay? You know what I'm saying? And so, look, Titus says young, older women impart truth to younger women. He calls you up in it as well. He calls you into it. And so here's the deal. We'll close out on this, but I want to just ask you this question today. What is the vision for your life and discipleship look like? This church will be a church that makes disciples in this city. That will not waver among your leaders here and among you guys. We will not stop making you feel uncomfortable at times if we have to, to tell you that this is the call on your life. Some of you are bored to death with Christianity. And the reason you're bored is because you refuse to walk in the calling that God called you in. There is an adventure, there is a thrill, there is a richness in relationship that is awaiting you to simply say yes to the call on your life to make disciples. I want you to think about this today. Jesus gathered people all the time. He fed them, he taught them. We gathered here. Weekend services, children's ministry, we got community groups, but you can only do so much in a large gathering. Jesus then showed us. He took 12 men. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up on the numbers, okay? Can we throw out the numbers? If we could just do one person, let me show you this today. Are you with me? I'm here. Let me just preface this real quick. I'm, if you ever ask me to spell or to do math on stage, it could end very, very badly. And I'm about to do a math problem with you, okay? So stick with me as we do this. But I, I had to get my little cheat sheet up here, by the way. So I'm really, this is nothing, preaching doesn't give me anxiety. This gives me anxiety right here, okay? If every person in here, say you just took one person this year, 
and you said, I want to take one person alone and I want to impart over the next year what I know about Jesus with them. And you for one year did that and part of that impartation was you told them at the end of a year, you go and you do this with somebody after this year and I'll then take somebody else. At the end of that year, the one-to-one, you two together, you go, they take somebody, it multiplies, right? It doubles to four. Seems a little bit like not a lot, right? At the end of three years, you now have eight people who are disciples. At the end of four years, 16, five, 32, six, 64, seven, 128. At the end of eight years, you have 256 people who are disciples of Jesus. Nine years, 512. Hello, shout out Austin, Texas, 512. I just noticed that. I did not plan that. It's the spirit. 10 years, 10 years, 1,024. If you keep going by 20 years, if you would just for the next 20 years of your life, on your ending of your life, hello, come on, you're gonna live more than 20 years, most likely, God willing. But for the next 20 years, if you did this, and this was part of your discipleship vision, by the end of 20 years, 1,048,576 disciples will have been made. If you just impart onto somebody every year what you know in Jesus and you call them to do the same the year after. I get it. It's not perfect. People are going to fall off. It's not always going to work out. But if you keep this going for 30 years, you're looking at 536 million. What if you tried this with two people? This is the principle of multiplication. And this was God's plan for the church from the very beginning, what did he say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. And multiplication began with 12, and you're sitting here today because of it. This is what you're called to do. This is discipleship. The way you do it, it's varied. Welcome them into your home. Have them over for dinner. Go meet with them weekly. Bring them into a party that you're having. Make some strangers your friends. Uh, Maybe share the gospel and open your mouth sometimes with them. Maybe another way for you to do is to just be faithful where you're at. Acts 17 says that God has positioned your boundaries and your borders, and you are where you are because God put you there. Mother Teresa said, you want to know the greatest influence on your life is? Draw a three-foot circle around you, and the person that stands in that circle is the person you have the greatest influence on right now. This is the call to your life. Will you pray with me?